0: So, hey guys! Uh, welcome to the uh, ninth chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith class. We call this Truth for Life. We are a confessing church, meaning we confess a particular summary of what the Bible uh, teaches and says. This is the best summary of what the Scriptures teach. And so, this uh, this week is a special week, uh, as all of them are special. But we're going to be looking at the ninth chapter. And this brings us into a new section of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We've looked at the preliminary things, such as Scripture. Who is God? What's His eternal decree? What's He doing in creation? What's He doing in providence? What's He doing with sin and judgment and the fall? And then what's He doing to redeem people with the covenant and the covenant mediator? These are the preliminary things you've got to know that the Bible teaches. Now, as we think about salvation, which is our new section... We're going to first tackle this uh, idea of free will. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Westminster Confession of Faith believes in free will. It is, a, it is a true thing, the Westminster Confession of Faith. You might not know that, but the Westminster Confession of Faith in our church believes in free will. And I'm going to tell you, you're free to believe me or not. Uh, it's just, uh, you, you, some of you are going to believe me, some of you are not, and that's because you have a free will. Uh, you, you know, you're free to choose uh, tuna fish or chicken for lunch. You're free to do a lot of things. You have a will. Part of being human is having a will. I mean, like we have, we make decisions, we image God as his image bearers and with this sophisticated, reasonable will. Uh, when Jesus was made man, he took on body, soul, mind, everything that, that we have, and part of it was making decisions. He made the right decisions all the time. The right he used his will. He mastered he only Jesus was a uh, was not mastered by his uh, personality, environment, uh, gifts and strengths, and all the things that we're mastered by, uh, weaknesses that we have. So Jesus was uh, free of the damage that we do to ourselves in our sin and misery with our wills. So, all right, so let's talk about just getting a a rundown of what the Bible says about will. So we're going to be looking at just five sections today, uh, and that's all. We're going to get the whole chapter into one day, and it's pretty, pretty straightforward. So uh, i'm going to ask us uh, if you'll join me in praying before we start and then we'll get through it let's pray our heavenly father it is a great day to be with your saints to be with your people and to be learning of what you have made us to be and learning how you are redeeming us and the future that we hold uh, in christ and so we we long to see uh, uh, not only our churches full uh, of your saints and your elect, but also the day in which uh, you will return and bring about all these gospel blessings upon us in their fullness. So we pray today that you would teach us and help us to long for the day which you will return and, and our wills will, will be completely freed of any corruption and sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're looking at the free will. Uh, and as we think about the first section here, let's look at it This is like a preliminary section of this particular chapter. So the first paragraph says, God hath endued the will of man with the natural liberty, with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. So Adam and Eve in the garden, this is speaking of Adam and Eve, and everyone else, uh, it's saying that in general, the will of man is that it uh, has natural liberty. Every single person who's ever been made has this will. and when you try to raise children uh, or you try to manage people, uh, you see this like every, every if you have a, you try to get married anything you do with people, you notice that well there's no way to force anybody to do anything like there's a, absolutely people have this uh, ability to want to do good or evil. Uh, you can't coerce people to do things. you can influence them but at the end of the day everyone has this, Will. And so we'll look at um, just one place. I want to look at James 1.14. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, open up to James 1.14, and we'll look at that verse real quick. You got it? Okay, so it says, uh, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Okay? Uh, if you were to look at Deuteronomy 30 and 19, it says, 30, 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. And so you see there, God is uh, calling on Israel to choose either life or death. And it says here in James that it's not that God tempts us, but man is tempted when we're led away and drawn away in our own lust and enticed, and we decide to sin. So we can't blame it on God. It's, it's up to us each and every day and every moment uh, in that regard. So God hath endued the will of man with natural liberty, that he is neither forced nor by absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. You can say, well, you can blame it on, I was just born this way, or uh, I, was, I was in this house, or this is just who I am, or you can make a million excuses for why you do what you do, but at the end of the day, you have responsibility for your will. Okay, does that make sense? Anyone have any questions on this one? Fairly straightforward. This is what the Bible teaches. You have a will. All right, now, we're going to look at these fun uh, words on the the, uh, board here. So this is uh, posse, (laughs) which I love that word. Posse, picare, non-picare. Non-posse, non-picare. Posse, non-picare. Posse, picare. picare, Non-posse, picare. Okay, does anyone know Latin? Anybody? Where's Stevie when you need it? I her? know. Yeah, yeah. Goodness. Okay, so this is uh, translated ability or able. Okay, able. Posse is able. Think about able. So we see posse, able. And then picare is sin, to sin. Okay? So, so able to sin or no sin or not sin. Okay? So able to sin. Or not sin. Okay, that's the, uh, that's the first line there. Second line, this is what? Not able. Not, not, able, not able. To not to sin. sin. Not to not sin. Okay, good. You guys are fast learners. You're, you're Latin speakers already. <laughs> okay, uh, now the third line is what? That's what? Able. Able to not Sin. sin. Able to sin.
1: Yeah,
0: able to not sin, able to sin. Okay, and then the last one is? Not
2: able
0: to sin. Yeah, not able to sin. Okay, so we have four lines, and uh, this is something I've just seen sort of ubiquitously in Reformed teaching over my last 20 years or so as a Christian. And uh, th- this, this line, I mean, I've heard R.C. Sproul teach on this numerous times, and, and he just he goes over these things, and he says, this is a great summary uh, of what we, I think he got this from Augustine probably, right? Mm-hmm. And it says uh, that this is what, where we are as uh, people in our states. And the first one would be uh, innocence, right? In our state of innocence, meaning in Adam and Eve, we had the ability to sin or not sin, right? So Adam and Eve had the free will to sin or not sin and the ability to do so, right? So they had this will and then this ability to do that or not, okay? So then you had uh, the, the second estate, which would be the fall or sin and misery state, which is going to be uh, the not able to not sin, and that would be. We'll look at some uh, some uh, some some you know scripture support for that in a minute. And then you got the third one, which is able again not to sin, able to sin, and that would be the state of grace. By grace we're born again, and then also able to. We're now able to not sin, but we're also able to sin okay, because we're not fully sanctified, right, glorified. And then the fourth one, not able to sin, will be in glory. Okay, that's our, that's our, our, our fourfold structure, fourfold state of man in the estates of innocence, fall, grace, and glory. Any questions? Fascinating, right? Don't you feel smarter? <laughs> uh, you got some Latin today. Okay, so I never learned Latin, but I've learned it from, from just reading those, those guys. All right, so <clears throat> let's look at the second uh, section here of our second paragraph of our chapter 9. It says, man in his state of innocence had freedom and power to... And so the state of innocence, that's just what i talked about right there, innocence. It says, first one, man in his state of innocence had freedom and power to will and to do that which is good and well-pleasing to God. But yet mutably, meaning changeably, so that he might fall from it. Okay? Does that make sense? Hey, welcome. We're, we're, we're having Latin class. Do you know Latin?
2: Uh,
0: A little yeah. bit? Okay, man, we wish you were here earlier. Yeah. At least you were here. yeah, good. So we're looking at the fourfold state of man, and now we're on chapter, or chapter two, or section two of chapter nine of the uh, Westminster Confession. I'll read it one more time. Man in his state of innocence had freedom and power to will, and to do that which is good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably, so that he might fall from it. Oh, think about that. So where would we see that that is true? So we see, if you look at the Scripture verses there, uh, the, the Genesis 126 one is God made man after his own image, right? So he's upright with knowledge, with wisdom, with holiness, right? So he's able to do the will of God. He's able to do the good. But you see in Genesis 2, 16, and 17 that God set before him a probationary command to test him. And it's, if you, it says, all these trees are yours, all the garden's fruit is yours, but that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's the, that's the probationary commandment. And that's also known as the covenant of works, which we studied a few weeks ago. Now, as you consider that, God put that before him, and you see in 3.6, what happened? Eve looked, she saw that the fruit was good, uh, and, and trusted the serpent's lies, took it, and then ate and gave some to her husband who was there uh, with her. And so at that point, you see that these two individuals were capable of falling from that state of innocence. And they did, and brought us all with them. So that, now you look at the next th- uh, next line there, uh, the third Third paragraph, it says now man by his fall into sin and the state of sin hath wholly lost his ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto. Okay, so let's unpack this, right? So we see here, now back to our Latin phrases, right? able to sin or not sin okay that's our first line second line is not able to not sin okay so we just have we're able to sin essentially we, we have no ability not to sin at this point uh and that's what we see here in this in this line it says in the state of uh of sin which is our second state here fall state instead of misery uh we've lost all ability to any spiritual good now we had that ability in adam adam lost it we've lost it so, natural man altogether averse from that, which is good. Uh, let's look at, uh, at John fifteen five. Who knows what that says, or can find it? This is the words of Jesus, John fifteen five. Just to prove it. I am the
1: vine; you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much
0: fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. So, so say, say you're not in Christ. Can you do anything good? No, that's pretty straightforward. I love Jesus' analogy, right? If I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're not in me, you cannot do good. So say you're outside of Christ, you have no ability. Let's look at a more, uh, uh, you know, just uh, didactic portion where we're just saying, hey, here's, here's how it is. So let's look at uh, Romans 3, uh, at verse 10 through 12. Uh, and let's look at that one. So we'll go Romans three, ten through 12. Can someone find that for me? I've got a cup of coffee in my hand, so I don't talk too fast and use my hands too much. So I'm trying to be a little bit more subdued <coughs> this morning. Uh, okay, so three Romans three twenty or right, three ten. Who's got it? I've got it. Thank you.
2: What verses three ten through through 12. twelve? As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one.
0: Amen. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's a, that's a great, great word there because it, it essentially proves what we said here, right? I can't, prove, I can't improve myself. I have no ability to change my condition apart from Christ. I have nothing. So, so that's what it's saying. This is altogether true of every single person who's ever lived after Adam. That's the state of the fall or sin. Okay, now let's look at the next one. It says, uh, when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin, and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good, yet so as that by reason of his own remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly, nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. I want to go to two places here to show you this. Uh, let's look at Philippians 2:13 first. Will someone read Philippians 2:13? Gabriel, you get that one, mm-hmm. okay? And then if if uh, Cody, will you look up uh, Romans 7:15 and then a few verses after that too? So, uh, Gabriel, if you'll get Philippians 2:13.
2: For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. So so that's a that's a. That's directly, I mean, like, they're just really just stealing that, like borrowing and stealing that, sticking that in line two of of section four. It says, by his grace alone, God by his grace alone enables uh, man in the state of grace to freely will and do what is spiritually good. Okay, so that's what we're able to do. Now, so we have in the third point, able not to sin. Finally, finally in the state of grace, I'm able not to sin. But I'm also able to sin. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a minute. So, Cody, will you read that one, 715 of Romans? For I do not
1: understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me.
0: Thank you very much. I mean, that's that's pretty straightforward, right? Paul is confessing as one of us. He's saying, I have the same problem you have. I I, I have a a new nature, uh, but not always the ability to fulfill what I'd like to do. Uh, not, it's not, the law is not the problem. I'm the problem. I'm unspiritual. The law is spiritual. I'm unspiritual, and I have this corrupt nature in me. Still, it's still there. It's still affecting me. And it needs to be set. I need to be set free from it. Uh, but I have also have this new man. So I have this old man and new man. There's a there's a conflict within. I don't understand it. It's ra- it's raging within me, and that's that's the that's where we live now in the state of grace. That's the state of grace. Possi non peccare, posse peccare. Able not to sin, able to sin. Praise the Lord! We're able to to not sin. Uh, that's the that's like the that's the great news. Actually, that's part of the good news. Is you're able not to sin finally. Okay, in Christ through faith, you're able not to sin. I think we just sort of assume that we, we kind of um, have this uh, inner defense attorney, like who wants to justify us all the time, and and maybe our maybe when we have children. We're thinking, well, you know, they're always right. You know, and somebody else is the problem, or. You know, I'm always right, somebody else is a problem, so we'll defend our own actions a lot, and our, our, the people close to us, our friends, and and, and everything like that. But, but the Bible actually says about us, as far as the spiritual good, we're, able not, we're not able to do it apart from grace. Okay, And so God's grace enables us both to will, to desire, and to do the good we love and we want to do. Uh, but we still have this corruption still remaining. So let's look at the final stage, which is glory the non posse Picari stage, the fifth section, it says, the will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. I love how short that is and sweet, right? The will of man is perfectly, I mean, perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. As you go back to the state of innocence in section two, you notice there that he it says he was able to do that which is good and well-pleasing to God, yet mutably, and here we have in the fifth section, the will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone. Okay, so you got the, the unchangeable freedom. The unchangeable freedom. We have freedom, but we live like slaves. We have sonship, but we live like orphans. This, this is the state of grace, that is. And in the state of glory, that will be no more. Finally, we'll be free from that. And we'll, we'll all rejoice and we'll all breathe easy, finally, because there will be no more devil, sin, or death, or temptation. And that's, that's the end, when Christ returns in the state of glory. Let's read a few of these verses that, uh, uh, you know, support our assertion. Let's go, um, we'll cut, someone get Ephesians 4.13. I have. It. Thank you.
2: Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
0: Yes. We're growing upward, right? to the fullness of Christ, to mature manhood, as he says there. We're, we're sort of adolescent. We're not there yet. We're kind of're we're, we're maybe we're children childish. you know we're not manhood, right? We're not fullness yet. Uh, we're partial. Uh, and so we're looking to that day. Paul acknowledges that with Ephesians. Uh, Hebrews 12:23. Has anyone got that one? Someone get that? I have. it. Okay, In the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn. Which are written in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Thank you. Uh, and so this is to uh, this is a glory statement uh, to uh, to this uh, the assembly of the firstborn, and to those who are made perfect. Okay. Uh, again, uh, this is a statement of perfect and immutability, free to do good alone. First uh, John three two. Anyone got that one? Lance, go back to it. Beloved, uh, now are are we the sons of God, and it doeth uh, not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Mm. Yeah, we shall be like him. What is Jesus like? Not able to sin. Okay, That we're going to be like him. That's a very big point. Uh, and that's a good verse. Uh, Jude 24, I'll read it. It says, Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love that because it gives God all the glory right there. It says, He's the one who's able to keep you from falling, he preserves you, and he's able to present you finally and fully uh, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He will rejoice over his people with singing. This is the great promise from Zephaniah 3.17. He will rejoice over you. Why? Because he will have made you righteous and holy and blameless and radiant. That's what Ephesians 5 uh, 22 through 31 says. Is anyone, would anyone like to read that for us? The Ephesians 5. We'll start. Actually, let's go Ephesians 5.25 and following. Would someone do that? Through 32, probably. Ephesians 5.30. This is the The ideal of marriage applied to what it truly is picturing, Christ and his church.
2: Where do you want me to start?
0: Let's go with 25.
2: Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. How far do you want me to go?
0: Let's go a couple more.
2: After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church.
0: All right, let's stop there. That's excellent. Okay. Now, when I proposed to my wife, I, I quoted those words. And I said, "I want to be a picture of this," and it's a poor picture. I mean, it's de- definitely a poor picture, and I, no one embodies this like you know, like perfectly, right? Of course, uh, but the idea here is like this is this is our true bridegroom. This is our tr- we're the true bride, and, we're, and he's our bridegroom. Christ is the one who makes us radiant and holy and without blemish, and and cleanses us from all sin. This is the idea here. Uh, of the whole Bible, and it's going to come to its fruition in the day to come when Christ returns. So I think there's a, there's a you know, getting that straight uh, of where we are, where we've been, where we were, where we are now, where we're going, hugely important, right? To know anything, right? So this is a, it's, a, it's why we start with this section before we move into salvation to understand the context of where what salvation is doing. So salvation is bringing us out of this estate. And in the glory, that's where we're moving. So, okay, any questions before we uh, discuss a little bit more in the remaining time? I know you all have tons of questions. Talk to me. Or heckle me. I mean, something, something. It's just so clear no one has questions. All right. Okay, please, yes.
3: Is our free will compatible with uh, predestination?
0: No question. Absolutely. All
3: right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you ask a yes or no question. I'll say yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, why? Why would you? Why would you say yes or no to that? Why would you? How would you? Uh, com- how did you? How you? Would you put those together?
3: Well, uh, predestination seems like it's something that's already been determined. Yes. Hasn't already been determined. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas free will. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some variability
0: in there. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's no, des- there's no destiny if it's free will, right? Well,
3: that's what yeah. it seems like.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We don't know how it's going to go. Yeah.
3: yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not compatible. It just, yeah. Well, it just seems.
0: It's, well. like, it's like watching UFC versus professional wrestling. <laughs> okay, I've, you, I've so. So Salvation mm-hmm. is like professional wrestling because the, 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 the ending is already determined, right? Uh, we know who's going to get the championship belt at the end of the day. Uh, it's going to be the church. Now, in UFC, you really don't know. I mean, it could be up, it's up in the air because it's not scripted. So we have freedom, but it's also scripted, right? So we know it's predestination. I, I may mean, it's a bad analogy. I don't know if you guys care about wrestling or, or, or UFC. But the thing is, the, the fact remains, sports entertainment is entertainment and it's scripted. Versus sport is unscripted. So when you're talking about free will, people like to think about, well, free will, what it was, so, so that means I don't know the outcome. Well, the thing is, is God is sovereign over the election. And he's sovereign over all the means to get it there, right? So he's governing and ruling over everything. Like, in the Bible, even says um, that uh, even, the th- like, two sparrows are sold for a penny, right? And, and none of them fall without the will and the hand of the Father, right? So he's, 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 he's governing over the most insignificant events and the greatest of events. So you see that uh, in, in Acts uh, 2, uh, Peter says that, you know, hey, you betrayed the Lord, the Son of God, just as you were ordained to do, right? So God ordained them, but you freely did it. So this is why it says we all have these free wills, but they do accomplish what God ordains. So they all, it fits together because God's sovereign, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I think that's the way you got to think about it. And so if you want to think about, it, you know, if we're, if we're left to our free will without predestination, no one goes to heaven no one is saved because our, our wills are are right here in, in in this with right there that's a really bad place to be but because of this because of grace God's grace it brings us into here and so we have so so I've, I've got to have that or I've, so but the only reason I have that is because there's a, a decree which is written in in chapter 3 which is summarizes that chapter uh, for us there of the of the plan of salvation and the eternal decree so so that that's a uh, you know, the, the Bible teaches both of those things, right? Uh, and so you want to think about these are parallel things. If everyone has a, a responsibility to, to choose salvation and reject death and reject hell and sin, choose Christ. But we also know that because of the fall, we are incapable of improving our condition. And so we need the grace of the Lord sovereignly to affect us. So because God chose us, Because the Son died for us, because the Spirit makes us new, we will choose Him irresistibly. It will never be the case that someone would not. Yeah.
1: And I think people who would agree or disagree with predestination, they would say, well, yes, Mm -hmm. it requires God giving us the faith, but He gives everybody that, essentially. But Hmm. some people choose it, some people don't. But then that would go like Mm -hmm. we'd say that goes against who God is. Like that would make Him ineffective, essentially, that mm-hmm. his faith given to us is not not good enough to mm-hmm. um, cause us to believe.
0: Yeah, I would ask them, where do they find that, though, too? Like, right. where do they have that, that, where do they, they hold that view of everyone gets that same ability or, or the gift there, but, but where is that in Scripture? And explain to me that, you know, because right. I think that's the key is we have a, a much tighter explanation for every word we've got in our confession here. So you know we're we're getting it from scripture now. Could we be an error? Of course we could. We could not know some things. But uh, this is a tried and true confession, and it's it's tested, and and I've tested it, and I look at it and I'm like that's the most consistent summary of what the Bible teaches, right? So so that's what I'm thinking. So the burden of proof is on someone to convince me otherwise, because I feel like the the uh, the the uh, the system holds together in a coherent. Rational way, and I want coherence and rationality in my worldview. Yes, yes, sir. I wanted to ask Joel: Is is your question rhetorical, or is, do you have an answer
3: for your own question? Actually, I really don't. Um, I've listened to scholars and religious people on both sides, and mm-hmm. there's, there's always that point at mm-hmm. which they're like, "We don't know exactly how this happens, but we just know it happens." Mm-hmm. So I'm just willing to just say like okay. there's some just, things we just don't know and there's and some things we probably just never know until we get to heaven and Jesus I'd, explains it to
1: us I'd like then I'd like to share the what I understand to be the typical reformed answer to